All right. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to grab them. We're on page 12. If you're grabbing a church Bible, we're on page 12 again. And I've um, got an outline for you this morning. We're going to be uh, we're going to be talking about the lovely Sodom. Isn't that the way you think of Sodom? The lovely Sodom, Genesis chapter 19. All right. Let's uh we're going to read, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we'll read uh, a good bit of it together, beginning in verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can know them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never known a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men inside said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. At the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, for you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and of his two daughters, and he led them and led them to safe, safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and, you've, and you have shown great kindness to me, sparing my life. But I can't flee the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, or I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to them, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That's why the town was called Zoar. 
By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. From the Lord, out of the heavens, it came. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also all the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up. He returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Let's pray. Father, we pause to come before you. We Come, we read your word this morning. Difficult for us to understand. We would ask that, Holy Spirit, you would come and aid us. And that you would apply this word to our lives, just as you did its early hearers, your children in Israel. Use it to strengthen us, grow us, mature us, aid us as we seek to run the race before us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to set up the story this morning a little bit. And to do that, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 13. You'll remember in Genesis 13, which is really how we get here, that Abraham and Lot had moved to the land together. They were looking out at the land. They were, um, they were, they, they were together talking about their situation because their flocks and their herds had grown so large that the land could no longer support them. So Abraham and Lot got together. The herdsmen had been arguing, and Lot said, and Abraham said to Lot, Look, take a look around. You choose your spot. I'll take the other spot, and we will go to those locations, and then everything will be okay. And the, and the text tells us in Genesis 13, verse 10, that Lot looked around, and he saw the whole plain of the of the Jordan, and he saw the city Zoar, he saw all of that, and he, he saw how beautiful it was and how well watered it was. And then there's a section where it says that it was well watered, it was beautiful like the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt. Those were the two ways in which the, the land appeared to Lot. And so you think to yourself, this is really choice property that Lot is kind of setting his heart on, and he desires. But then remember, we talked a little bit about that phrase. It was like Egypt. Remember? Egypt's never the right place. Egypt, when, when, when their hearts are drawn to Egypt, it's always for all the wrong reasons. And so here is Lot looking at the beautiful land of the Jordan, and his heart is drawn to it like the garden and like Egypt. And then the text says, parenthetically, This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. How many English teachers do we have? One. Okay. Emma. I don't know what we call that. Uh, Is it a form of foreshadowing? A little bit? I mean, it kind of gives it away. Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed. Now, we don't know exactly what that looks like or how it's going to happen, but you can feel it in the text in Genesis 13, verse 11. 
So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out east, and the two men parted company. Verse 12, Abram lived in the land of Canaan. While Lot lived among the cities of the plain, he lived among the cities of the plain, and he pitched his, what? Tent near Sodom. Verse 13 of chapter 13, Now the people of Sodom were wicked, and they were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now, when you read that passage, when you read the setup to Genesis 19, you can feel it in the passage. And we know, right, that here is Lot. He makes this decision as he looks out. He's looking at the Jordan plain. Was it beautiful? Yes. Was it potentially very profitable? Yes. Was it a place he could go and his flocks and herds would flourish? Absolutely. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And so he chose it for himself, and he moved his family there. And then they lived in the plain in tents. They were nomadic to some degree. They lived, it says, among the cities. So they lived among Zoar. They lived among Sodom. They lived among Gomorrah. They didn't live in them. They lived among them. They lived out in the Jordan plain. When we get to Genesis chapter 19... Look at verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. Where was Lot? He was sitting at the city gates. And you've got to understand, in ancient times, the city gates were the place. That's where all of the action happened. This is like the courthouse. The city gates are where all the roads would have intersected. Any roads that were coming through that area would have made their way to the city gates. And so that's where everybody coming or going was happening. That's where the sale of all sorts of items took place. That's the place where the power brokers made their uh, gathering. And so Lot is seated in the city of Sodom amongst all the power brokers. Start to get a a sense. Something's happened. Something has changed. Lot is now an urbanite. He's living in the city. He's a city dweller. And he's there. He's why he's in a position to welcome the guests that come to town. So you begin to get a feeling, right? Lot, Lot hasn't just integrated himself into the city of Sodom. When we read the text, one of the things we find out is that Lot himself has been changed by the fact that he lived in the city of Sodom. The city has had a very profound effect on him. Let's look. One author says, consider what it is in the text that Lot himself has lost. Let's think about it. First, he has lost his moral sense and he's lost his backbone. Verse 6. In response to the mob that gathers at his house that evening, Lot comes out and offers his daughters. Has he lost his mind? Yes, he has lost his mind. The second thing you'll see is that he's lost, one author says, he's lost his cogency of witness. That means he lost his witness. And you see it in the passage In verses 12 to 14, 
when he goes to warn his future sons-in-laws of what is about to happen. And when he goes and he tells them, listen, destruction is coming. Bad things are about to happen to the city. You need to get out. What do his sons-in-laws do? They laugh. They think he's joking. And they don't respond to his warning. Third, he's lost a healthy sense of fear. Lot has lost all wisdom. He's lost all discernment. He, he, his heart is far too attached to the city that he's been living in. Verse 16. Verse 16 tells us that with destruction coming, the angels having warned him about what was about to take place, in the beginning of verse 16 it says, He lingered. He couldn't let go. He, he couldn't take his eye off the city. He couldn't, he, he couldn't separate his heart from the city of Sodom. And he lingered. He lingered to the point that the angels have to grab his hand, the hands of his daughters, the hands of his wife, and they have to drag him out of it to forcefully remove him from the city. He had lost all wisdom and discernment. And here's the fourth thing. And perhaps the most disappointing. Lot had lost his family to Sodom. He lost his family to Sodom. His wife, in verse 26, disregards the instruction of the angels. And what does she do? She looks back longingly to the city of Sodom. Her heart is there. She's completely attached to the city now. And she looks back against the angel's warning. And of course, she gets high blood pressure. She turns to a pillar of salt. His daughters in verses 30 to 38, we didn't read them. You can look at them. I'm not going to read them. You'll know why when you read them. You know, if there's a passage... The Bible is very real, isn't it? This is a very sad, distressing story. Verses 30 to 38 will really drive it home for you. But there you'll see that his daughters had soaked up enough of Sodom. They had drunk from the well of those fellow citizens in Sodom for so long that they lost all sense of morality, lost all sense of what was right and what was wrong. And they became the mothers of two boys, Moab and Ben-Ami. They would become the fathers of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Now, that's a little bit of detail that if you know the rest of the story, and I'll just give you the tidbits here, the Moabites would occupy the territory east of the Dead Sea. The Ammonites would occupy the territory north of where the Moabites lived. And for the rest of Israel's existence, the Moabites and the Ammonites, in one way or the other, were exerting influence on them. The Moabites would lead Israel into Baal worship. So in that period after the Exodus, when they come back, during those 40 years, the Moabites were exerting influence on the Israelites such that they were drawing them into Baal worship. 
Why did this happen? Because Lot chose to raise his family in Sodom. You boil it all down, you back it all the way up, you rewind the tape, and the reason the Moabites are even there is because Lot chose to raise his family in Sodom. Because his girls, his daughters, lost their way. And Lot fathered children with them. And that incestuous relationship would give rise to the Moabites and the Ammonites. So how did Lot arrive here? How did he end up so fully enthralled with the city of Sodom? He obviously knew the dangers, right? He knows the dangers of Sodom. Think about it. He's at the city gates. Strangers arrive to town. They say, hey, we'll we'll sleep in the city square. And what does Lot say? Oh, no, you won't. You're not sleeping in this city square. You sleep in this city square. You're liable to be dead in the morning. You're coming to my house. And the passage says he insisted that they come and stay with him. Why? Because Lot knew full well what would happen to visitors in his town if they stayed in the city square. It almost happened and they came to his house. And he was a man of some influence in that town. And so Lot understood. He understood what he knew what the place was all about. So there in all of that, there's something to think about. Here is the question that you need to ask. Was it sinful? Was it sinful for Lot to live in Sodom? No. Was it smart? Probably not. And there is the wisdom, right? Isn't that the way that the decision-making process often goes for us? What is driving us in our decisions? What is driving you in the decisions you are going to make? Perhaps about where you live. Perhaps about where you might work. Perhaps about where you might advise a grandson or a granddaughter to go to college. Perhaps, right, any number of decisions. It doesn't have to be a massive decision necessarily where you're going to live. There are all manner of decisions that you need to ask. Does this further, does this help me, does this advance in my life the things that will help me run the race set before me with endurance? There's great freedom in the Christian life. Great freedom. But with that freedom comes the responsibility to make decisions that are wise. And wise decisions advance the gospel cause in our lives, in the lives of our children, and the lives of our grandchildren, and the lives of our great-grandchildren, and on down the line. I was had a conversation with somebody um, recently, and they were talking about the fact that they had they were making a big decision about whether or not to move to a certain location or not. And they said that before they made that decision, before they committed, they went and investigated that location to see whether or not there was a church that taught the Bible, a place where they could worship, a place where they knew they could grow in the Lord. Right? Not just was there a church. Anyways. So they made that decision. They went. Now, the conversation stuck in my head because I've had enough of these conversations with people over the years to know that that was a rare 
a rare process for somebody to go through, to ask those kinds of questions. And yet, aren't those the questions that Lot should have asked about Sodom? Is this the place that will be good for me and my family in the long run? Is this the place that I am going to grow? Are these the sorts of people that were I to associate with them, I won't lose, but I will gain in running the race? Where are you placing yourself? Is your tent too close to the world? It's, listen, it's a decision that's different for each of us, okay? I know people that have been through AA. They've come out the other side. They're successful. They do not put themselves in a position where alcohol is anywhere near them. They can't because they know the triggers. They know their own heart. But then I know other people have been through AA, and they can walk through a wine store and be completely okay. It doesn't trigger them. They have no desire at all to go back to that. So it's different for everybody. And the question you have to ask yourself is, is my tent in the right location? Or am I in danger of becoming a part of the city? And that's the question that you have to ask. And the reason that you want to ask that is because you want to run the race that's set before you. In Lot's case, Sodom and having a Sodom address was clearly a liability in his running the race. Do you have any liabilities in your life that hinder you? Now, quickly, the last two points. I should have told you up front. A lot of times when I go home, the kids say, Dad, that first point was really long. And the last two points were really short. This morning, that's on purpose. The second thing I want you to see is its unfortunate demise. Sodom and Gomorrah are absolutely as bad as you think they are and as history has taught us that they were. Lot knew the bad things in the city. We've already seen that. Many types of perversions were taking place in the city. Remember last week we looked at Ezekiel 16.49 and we read there she and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before the Lord. They were arrogant. They were overfed. They were unconcerned with the poor and the needy. Boil it all down. And the citizens of Sodom were consumed with themselves. You say, well, if they were really that bad, then why is it unfortunate that God would judge them in this way? And it's unfortunate in the sense that you and I should long that everyone would come to know the true and living God. And so to know and to see that God exercised His right to judge these people is very disheartening. It's sad. It's, it's hard. And it also should strike some degree of fear in us that there is the just judgment of God. And so we should long that everyone would know the safe harbor of a relationship with Christ. That they would never experience this. But that they would turn and trust in Jesus. So their demise is a reminder to us that there is a judgment coming and that only those in Christ will be saved.
Here's the third point. I want you to notice its unquestionable importance. Verses 27 to 29. Early in the morning, the next morning, the passage says that Abraham got up, he went to the place where he had been last week, pleading before the Lord. Remember last week, Abraham went to the Lord and he said, Lord, if there are 50 righteous, would you spare the city? And he said, I'll spare it. So what about 45? If there's 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20. What about 10? If there are 10 righteous, Lord, will you spare the city? I'll spare the city. And so Abraham got up the next morning. He went out to the place where he had been pleading with God. And the passage says he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah. He looked down toward the land of the plain and he saw the dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. And then we read this. When God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe. Abraham was pleading for the city. Remember, he was pleading for the city, he was pleading for the righteous, and he was pleading for the name of God. And you know what? God heard his prayer. He didn't hear the form of his prayer. He didn't answer the form of his prayer. But God answered the substance of his prayer. And he brought the righteous one out alive. You say, well, how do you know that? How do you know right? Lot was the righteous man. Second Peter 2 verse 7 tells us that Lot was a righteous man. Now here's where I want to turn your attention. Can I tell you something? The story that we had last week was Abraham, a man, pleading for the city. You want to know what? There's someone pleading for you this morning. There's someone interceding for you this morning. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to a couple of passages. Paul tells us in Romans 8, What then shall we say in response to these things? Verse 31, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against, God, against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also praying for us. How about Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25? Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God that is Jesus through him because he always lives to pray for them what about Hebrews 9 verse 24 for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one he entered heaven itself now to appear for us now to appear for us in God's presence one last one. First John 2, 1 John 2.1 My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. The story of Sodom is important. It's important early at this point in the book of Genesis. The reason that it's important is because it shows us God's commitment to His own. He was going to destroy Sodom, but he listened to Abraham's prayer for the righteous, and he redeemed, he rescued Lot from the city. If God is for us, if God is for us, as he was with Lot and Abraham, then who can be against us? Nobody. Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ. No one and nothing. For you are secure in Him. Let me pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for a difficult story such as Sodom and Gomorrah. But thank You for Your faithful rescue of Your saints, of those whom You've called according to a mighty purpose. Father, this morning let us reflect upon the fact that we are secure in the person and work of Christ Jesus and in Him alone. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. We thank You, we praise You, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, There is a Redeemer. 308, you're in heaven heart.
Now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.